My name is Doug. I'm the young adult pastor here. And um, again, just so excited for what God's going to do over the next few weeks in the summer as we walk through this new series we're starting. And just to give you guys a little bit of a sense of how this series is going to function, uh, the, the story that you may have seen on social media uh, or the idea behind the series is it's called Storyline. And, and in essence, what Storyline is, is uh, it's a way for us to have a conversation about the bigger picture, the bigger narrative of Scripture, uh, with the goal of us beginning to see how God's story uh, meets our story. Or another way to put it is to, to begin to think and to see our lives through the lens of the biblical narrative. I want the picture of the Bible to be so clear to us, uh, to be so clear from Genesis to Revelation about what God's doing that we um, increasingly become aware of how we can read the events of our daily lives through that lens so that we can come to greater awareness of who God is and what he's doing in our lives and so that we can be obedient to it. And so that's the aim of this summer. That's what we're going to try to do. There's several of us who are going to be speaking over the course of this summer. I'm speaking this week, Isaac next week, in a few weeks. Britt's going to be speaking. Uh, one of our friends, Trisha Joseph, uh, who's an astrophysicist, is going to come up and she's going to teach a little bit. Uh, Alec will be teaching. We've got an array of cool speakers. Uh, but, the, but each week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a different story from Scripture and how uh, and come to see how that story actually impacts and meets our lives and reveals something about ourselves. And along the way, we'll try to tell some, a few jokes and keep you guys engaged. Uh, it's going to be super great, and I can't wait to jump in it. Also, we've got kids running in the back that you guys can hear, which is totally okay. So kids run around. We're going to be okay with this. I'm a suburban dad. You guys maybe aren't suburban dads yet, but sometimes kids come, and that's okay. So can I just speak to that right now? We're just like, okay, cool. No one's upset that kids are coming. Uh, we're good? Okay, good, good, good. So kids, you guys are doing a great job. Y'all just do your thing. We love you. You're great. So, hey, if you have Bibles, go ahead and open them to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start here today. And as you guys are opening up to that, I'm going to pray and ask God to make us teachable. So if you're, as you're opening, if you can open and pray, that's great. If you can only open, open. If you can only pray, pray. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You guys are adults. Whatever, do your thing. Okay, let's pray. Jesus. From the depths of my heart and our heart, as we take a moment here to just gather uh, on a sweaty Tuesday night in Orlando, Florida, um, we just want to pause and abide and say, Jesus, what we need most uh, are not more gimmicks, not more formulas to try to hack our way or cut corners to understanding reality. What we need more of, Jesus, is you and your word and your word that brings life. Jesus, would you bring more life here in the midst of this series? Jesus, would you help us to see the beauty of the story that we wake up into and how our stories fit into that story? And would you bring us significance and community and meet the depths of our needs in that? And would you do that here tonight and every night we meet? It's in your name we pray, amen. Genesis chapter three is where we're gonna start, but I wanna set up Genesis chapter three because if you've done the math, there are two chapters that precede this. Uh, yeah, every engineer was like, I got that reference, yes. Genesis 1 and 2, if you guys aren't familiar with this story, uh, is the story of creation. God creates everything. And very early in the process, God uh, creates this, this thing called human beings. And 
he does something really magical once he creates human beings. And it's really the first of two truths I want us to meditate on here today. Uh, and if you have a, a, a um, if you, I, I can't remember what we call it now. It's not a bulletin. If you have a program, it's in your program for your notes. Uh, and it's this, God has invited us to play a role in his story that's already in progress. So I want to meditate on this. The, the idea that God has invited us to play a role in his story that's already in progress. Everybody in this room, everybody, woke up at some point and gained consciousness in a story that's already going. And for maybe for some of us, that was today, right? Just like Adam, we woke up, we had breath in our lungs, and we were in the midst of a story go, uh, already in progress. Uh, this is not like, nobody woke up in a situation that's like Will Smith and I Am Legend. Have you guys seen that movie? Where like Will Smith is the only person on the planet we think, no spoilers, right? But he's just like walking around like with a gun, like where is everybody, right? In his own little narrative. Or for some of you, no one is like Tom Hanks and Castaway, like on an island with Wilson, where he's just all by himself. Nobody woke up on an island. Nobody woke up by themselves. We all were born into a story that was already in progress. And this was true of Adam. He was born into this story that was already going. And he woke up and he looked around and he had this relationship with this being called God. And God is not angry with him. He's not upset with him. But he actually calls to Adam and invites him to this very specific role to participate in the story of God. And it's incredible. Um, one of the first things that happens at, um, in Genesis 1 and 2 is God goes, hey, Adam. I want, to help, I want you to help me with something. I've got all these animals. So you guys can go back and read this later in your quiet times. But God says, hey, I've got all these animals. I want you to help me name them. So he just brings these animals by and goes, hey, Adam, what do you want to call them? And Adam gets to create the nomenclature for all these animals. So like God brings by this one animal and it's kind of larger with four legs on the ground and it's got a brown mane uh, and a long face. So obviously he's like, this is a horse, right? Uh, hence the joke, right? And so he's like, this is a horse and the horse goes by and then the next one comes by and he's like, oh, cool. It's green and it's long and it's got a tail. This is a lizard. And he's like, okay. And then the third one comes by and Adam goes, Pfft. he's like, what'd you do that for? He's like, there are these two bugs making love in the air. It was gross, right? Their love bugs are everywhere, right? No, get rid of those. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. But hey, on a sidebar, have you guys noticed the love bugs in Orlando? Like, what is the deal? It's like every day I wake up and there's like uh, a Marvin Gaye song playing somewhere in the bug community. Like, wow, 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 boom. And the bugs are everywhere. And I'm like, what is happening? This is indecent in public. My gosh. Um, anyway, so that's just an aside. But this is what Adam did in the very beginning of Genesis. Animals come by. He names them. God invites Adam to be a co-participant in the very act of creation. It's incredible. And I don't know if Adam was this way. I don't know if Adam in the beginning just kind of had this need for order. And so that's why God invited him to participate uh, in this process with him. I don't know what was going on. But for some reason, in God's divine mercy, he invites Adam to this role in this story that's already going. And I just want to pause here and just kind of meditate on this just a little bit. Um, it is maybe entirely possible, just like Adam, that you have these desires and these giftings and these things that you're passionate about. And th they're not just there for no good reason. They're there because God has put them in you because he wants those passions to be part of your story. And he wants that story to be part of his larger story that he's been bringing about since the beginning. And let me give you an example of uh, how this works. Uh, my wife and I, just as I was thinking about this, um, my wife and I love hospitality. And we love hanging out with people. My wife loves to cook. Um, 
And we love just hanging out, eating food, and just getting together with people. Uh, we love going out to eat. We love having people over to our home. We love grabbing coffee and tea and all these things. It's just an incredible thing. And so uh, we, we kind of just thought, just all this time we've been married 15 years, that we love hospitality because my wife is from Oklahoma. It's kind of the South. And she grew up, uh, my wife grew up in this very rural agricultural uh, world. She did not own a microwave, y'all, her entire life until she married me. No microwave. She cooked everything from scratch from the time she was little. Her mom cooked things from scratch. When my wife was four years old, she started learning to cook. And so I thought this was like a, an urban legend. She was like, yeah, when I was four, I started cooking. And I was like, no, no way, BS. I'm calling BS on that. And then we had kids. And at age four, my daughter started cooking. She, my daughter can make an amazing pie. She's six now. But at four, she could start making pie crust. And I remember walking in going like, well, I'll be darned. Like, this is incredible, right? My wife just loves this kind of stuff. And we, we love hosting people. We love having people over. And we just thought this was just something that was kind of part of our family. And then as we began to read scripture, even recently, we started seeing all these really interesting things. Like Jesus' first miracle took place at a feast. And the last thing he did with his disciples before he died is he had them over for a last supper. And then when he rose from the dead, he met his disciples on the beach for breakfast. And we started understanding that hospitality plays this crucial role in the gospel. Jesus says of the Father, uh, in my Father's house there are many, many rooms, and I go there now to prepare them for you. Hospitality is at the heart of the gospel. And when we understood that what was passionate inside of us was not something that was just unique to our story, when we were able to connect that to the fact that God's got a bigger plan of good news hospitality he's trying to execute in the world and that our story somehow gets to get connected to that, it filled us with this sense of significance and purpose, just like it did with Adam. Adam got to order the creation and God invited him to have this incredible role in this story that was ongoing that Adam just woke up into. And that's the first thing I want you guys to understand. And, and just a few more things on this. Just notice what happens next. If you go back and read it, God not only gives Adam a role, a significant role, but much later he noticed Adam is sad because he's alone, he's isolated. And so God creates Eve and he brings them together and God provides community for Adam in the form of his wife. And he does this so that Adam can not only uh, have significance, he does this so that, God, that Adam can have community. Social scientists tell us that human beings have two essential needs. And you know what they are? To be known and to be loved. And human beings can have everything in the world, but if they don't have significance, if they're not known, and if they don't have community, if they're not loved, that human beings will suffer um, in this life. And so I want you to notice that from the very beginning, before we ever get to Genesis 3, God has established a way for Adam and Eve to be known and to be loved as part of their story. And the, the truth of the gospel here today is this for, for those of us who are here. That same God who loved and knew Adam and Eve, he wants to love and know every one of you. He wants to make you fully known and fully loved in who he is. And that's incredible. That's the first big thing. But that's just the mini sermon, y'all. That was just like the, that was the warm up. That was the appetizer. I just wanted you guys to, okay, right? So now we're just taking a drink and a palate cleanser and we're gonna jump into this part here. The second idea I want us to just really soak in and we'll jump into Genesis 3 and walk through it is this. Not only has God invited us to play a role in his story that's already in progress, but God wants us to understand the big idea that being the supporting character in God's story is infinitely better than being the hero of my story. Let me say that again. 
God wants us to understand that being the supporting character in God's story is infinitely better than being the hero of my story. And to explain that, let's jump into Genesis chapter 3, and I'm starting in verse 1, reading from the English Standard Version. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Okay, whoa, 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 let's put some context here. Here's what I hope you guys have kind of understood just based on context. Number one, we've established that God is the hero of this story, which means human beings are not the hero of this story. Human beings, Adam and Eve, play a supporting role. If there was ever an Oscar in Genesis, God would get the Oscar for best actor. If there was an Oscar for best actress or, or best supporting actress or best supporting actor, that would go to Adam and Eve. That's, those are the roles already that have been established in this story that's ongoing from before the time when Adam and Eve were there. They're a supporting role. Uh, so God is the hero, not us. But here's something that's also important. We are not the villains here. Human beings are not the antagonists. There are, biblically speaking, three antagonists, and they all begin with S. There's Satan, there's sin, and there's society. These are the three things that tend to come against us, that tend to antagonize us. And what we see already here in verse 1 is that the antagonist, or one of the antagonists, Satan, is starting to come against the supporting actress in this story here and starting to do some nefarious things. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So Eve is up to code here. She's like, no, 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 Satan, not today, Satan, not today, right? She's like throwing truth back in his little face there. She doesn't quite get the truth down, but she's like, she has enough where she feels good about her comeback. She's like, okay, what do I say? What do I say? Okay, in the midst of the garden. Yeah, we can eat that one. Yes, Satan, not today. And she says this, this verse Two and three. Verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Or maybe he asks the question, will you surely die? Like he just kind of puts it out there like this. And I think many of you know exactly what his aim is by this point, right? Um, There's this great scene if you ever watched the TV show Parks and Recreation. Do we have any Parks and Rec fans here today? Okay, you've got Netflix, good. Uh, that's, that's what that is, that's a virtue signal. I have Netflix, like yeah, I watch Parks and Recreation all the time, I don't even pay for it, it's cool. Um, Uh, I'm just kidding. Be cool. I love Parks and Rec. I watch it all the time too. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting off the point here. But the point is in Parks and Rec, there's a character named Ron Swanson. And there is this uh, moment in Parks and Rec where uh, where there's this government inquiry about some uh, alleged misconduct and ethical things that are going on. And Ron Swanson is a character witness in this inquiry. And so he turns to the camera and goes, the only witness I intend to be is a hostile one. Right? And so he decides he's going to ask or he's going to answer every question with another question. And you guys know how this is if you ever have like siblings and this happens. The guy's like, So did you see anything nefarious go on? And he goes, Well, what do you mean by nefarious? He's like, Well, I think you know what I mean by nefarious. Oh, do I? Yes, you do. Oh, do I? Right? And it just gets to a point where it's no longer valuable to, to proceed in this manner. And you guys know how this happens. You know, if you grew up, if you had siblings or whatever, some kind of situation goes on and the sibling's like, "Um, you know what you did. Do I know what I did? Yes, you do. Do I know? Yes, you do, right? When you ask, when you answer uh, an inquiry in the form of a question, your answer is in the form of the question. It just antagonizes things. And that's what's going on here. Uh, Satan is saying, is that what God said? And he's trying to undermine the truth of all of these statements, but it gets worse. 
verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here it is. This is the claim. Here it is, Eve. The problem here in this situation is that you're a supporting actress. But if you'll eat this tree, guess what? We'll get to flip the script. This is your chance to be the hero in this story. God's over here as the hero. You're a supporting actress. Hey, guess what? If you'll just eat of this fruit, you get to be the hero. Uh, I don't know if any of you are participating in drama, maybe in your college or your high school experience, uh, but you, you know if you like try out for a play uh, and you don't get your part, but you get the understudy. Y'all know how that situation goes. Like the one girl gets the, the lead and you're the understudy. Uh, or maybe if you played sports and there was a starter and you were like the backup. Uh, and if you've ever played the backup role, the supporting role, sometimes you can feel motivated to just, you know, wake up each day and along with the Holy Spirit, you plot their downfall, right? Where you're just like, man, I really hope that she gets strep throat today because I can nail that aria. Yes, right? So then she starts coughing in practice and you're like, here it is. Here it is, my big moment, right? Because you're hoping that she gets sick and then you get to step into that role and now you're the star of the play. And this is what Satan is appealing to. He's like, oh, you know what would actually be better? If you were the hero of the story. And Eve is like, ooh, I've never thought about that. The hero of the story. Mm, this is amazing. And so now this is what's going on here. Verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. The second antagonist is coming on strong here. Sin is lurking. It's coming against her. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, I want to have, have a conversation with you guys about this. First off, let's talk about their, uh, let's talk about their response. Okay, their eyes became opened and they were naked and they were afraid. Do you guys just get like homeschool vibes here going on? Like Adam and Eve were the homeschool kids. No offense if you were homeschooled here. My kids are homeschooled. I'm, I'm not throwing homeschooled kids under the bus. But what I'm saying is kids who are raised in a really protective, naive environment. Uh, you guys know this, like imagine the homeschool kids who maybe their dad's a pastor and like they grow up and it's, or they're like super Christian family and they're super homeschooled and then they graduate from homeschool and they're like, okay, I got accepted into a state school and then they like move into state school and they go to their first day of class and they walk around on campus like the kid who walked into the R-rated movie theater. They're just like, oh, like what is this sin going on, right? And they're just like, you know, people are skateboarding by and they're like, oh, who's that person on a skateboard? And why did he have black things on his arms? What were those? Did he draw those? What's going on? I don't know. I've been homeschooled, right? They just have no idea what's happening here. The first time someone who grows up in a naive environment is exposed to the world and you see them, they just kind of just do this thing here where they're like, I don't know what's going on. This is the idea that's happening here. Eve decides, no, what I really want to be is the hero. And as soon as she takes the bite, she and Adam are now the homeschool kids who are on a state campus of a college somewhere. And they're in the real world for the first time. And they're walking around like, oh no, I don't know what's going on. And it's just a weird thing going on. And then, this is what the text says. It says, they sewed some fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths, which is basically like underwear. So basically they made like fig leaf underwear. But I think we see this and they're like, okay, they got into kind of like a really natural bikini situation going on. But here's what I want to ask you. When, when you think about some kind of printed material that has leaves all over it, what do you get the image of? 
Imagine a shirt with a whole bunch of leaves on it, okay? Maybe it's November in Florida and there's some men with pickup trucks who are wearing them and they've got guns. It's camouflage. That's what she's doing. Adam and Eve have now come out of this safe bubble and they've put on camouflage. Why do you wear camouflage? Because you wanna hide and you wanna blend in. And this is exactly what she does. Adam and Eve are now trying to blend in. And it doesn't make sense because they're the only two people. So you can see them kind of going to the back being like, I hope no one sees us. I can see you, shh, right? Like, no, we're camouflage here. This should be cool. I don't know who they're hiding from, but what we get the position of is that they are, they're covering up, they're ashamed, they're scared. They recognize that something has gone fundamentally wrong. And I don't know if you've ever um, seen this before, but um, sometimes when we invert this order and we try to become the hero of something instead of the supporting role, uh, sometimes we try to take charge in our lives, sometimes when we try to be in control and then we do something really terrible, we become aware that we just did something really terrible, our first reaction is to kind of do this thing here where we're just kind of ashamed and we kind of want to hide from people and disappear. Yeah, this is what's going on. Um, I see this sometimes when we are in life group situations. And one of the things I love about this story here is that um, as we come to understand that God is the hero of this story and that our stories are all connected to the stories, we come to realize that nobody sins uh, in a unique way. Or that is to say, everybody sins in the same way. Uh, And here's what I mean by this. So we'll be in small groups sometimes and, uh, you know, we'll get to that moment. You know, you join a small group and you're like, I think I like these people. And then after a while, you're like, okay, I kind of like these people. And then after like the fifth or sixth or seventh time, you're like, okay, I'm going to like these people. And you have that one breakthrough moment in a small group situation where someone uh, decides to go forward and to have the conversation, the honest conversation about what's going on in their life. And they always, everyone always does this. So the life group leader is like, so what's really going on in everybody's life? Like, how's your soul? Around here, that's what we say. How's your soul? And that, that first person decides to be the first penguin that jumps off the ice around the sea lions. Uh, and they're, they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll be real. And so they start to get real. They get in the real posture. And almost instinctively, you watch, people will do this. They'll cross their arms. Why? Because they're hiding still. And they're realizing this is uncomfortable. And it's like they're trying to do this as they're talking. And if you notice, if someone starts to talk about something uncomfortable, people sitting around will do the same thing. You guys have done this before, I know, because you've been in small groups. You look for the throw pillows on the couch and you just start to hug it like a bear that you went to sleep with when you were younger, right? So someone's like, yeah, I've got this sin going on in my life. And I love these moments when they happen because someone's brave enough to kind of share something Everyone's doing this and they say, yeah, um, I just have this conflict in my life and this way and this is what's going on and I, I just need you guys to be praying for me. And if you'll watch, it registers with someone else in the room and they're like, you do that too? It's not just me, you experience this too? And they'll do this thing, right? Because now they're no longer hiding. They're like, oh, cool. I, don't, I can come out of hiding now. I don't have to like just hide this thing. I don't have to be Eve and Adam over here in my camouflage anymore. I'm realizing that maybe there's a bigger story that's going on here. And I've been over here in my own thinking I'm isolated and on my own and no one else has ever sinned in this way. We see this in, 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 uh, in particular, uh, I just went through a premarital kind of life group situation with a bunch of our couples who are getting married. And um, we did this whole thing on communication and conflict. 
And we said, okay, what do you guys fight about? And so the first couple was like, well, we fight about this. And all the other couples were like, oh, y'all too? Oh, this is great. Yeah, we fight about those things. Okay, you hate the mother-in-law? Awesome, okay, right? We're just like, what's going on? Oh, and there's just this breath of air and everything that's going on. And people are coming out of hiding and they're talking about these things, okay? We've got some laughs and that's uh, not an indication of guilt. I just wanna say that, so. Well, this is what's going on here. Knowing that you're part of this larger story, knowing that you're part of um, this community of sinners, uh, knowing that you're part of these people who are struggling to do the right thing, but sometimes mess up, it does something amazing. It makes you feel known. It makes you feel loved. It makes you feel part of something else. And even Adam are at this point in the story where they think they're all alone, that no one else knows their sin. And I want you to watch what happens next. Verse eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Again, they're in camouflage. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, when God says this, this is counseling language. If you've ever sat down with a counselor or kind of talked with somebody, sometimes counselors will ask you questions like, so how are you today? Um, or so, okay, I heard this part of your story. So what do you think was significant about this thing? And they're not asking questions because they don't know. They're asking questions because they're trying to lead you to open up about things. God knows them and he's starting to ask these questions to indicate how much he knows them. He says, where are you? In verse 10, and he said, the man, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate, which is a classic guy move. It's like, yeah, she made me do this. You gave her to me, but you know, this has been a bad, this one right here has been a bad influence on me. I love you, honey. God, it's really her, right? Like he's just doing that whole thing. Uh, the woman does something very similar. Verse 13, <clears throat> then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, what's gone on here? Adam and Eve were in a perfect relationship with God. They're fully known and they're fully loved. And in this arrangement, God was the hero of their story and they were the supporting characters. But the problem is they got discombobulated. Satan, the serpent, started talking to them and they were tempted to go, hey, how about this? We're gonna be the heroes of our story and let's, let God become a supporting character in the story of our lives. And that's when everything got out of whack. And the big idea I want you guys to understand about this is being a supporting character in the story of your life is infinitely better um, than being the hero of your story. Being a supporting character in, the sto in God's story of your life is infinitely better than being uh, the hero of your story with God as a supporting character. And let me see if I can prove this to you because this is where I really wanna kind of chop the wood and hammer this home. <clears throat> Let's just again start here broadly. Can I get a glass of water? Sorry, I just completely forgot about getting a glass of water here. So I'm gonna try to get through this. <coughs> Okay, so God is a hero. You're supporting characters, okay? Fully known, fully loved. Adam and Eve sin. They're now the heroes of their story and they're isolated and they're alone and they don't even know each other. In other words, they're no longer fully known and fully loved. Well, what happened here? Let's just assume that fully known and fully loved is this common value that's common to all and that's what we all want. And let's assume we, like Adam and Eve, get into a moment where we decide, no, we need to be the hero. We need to control everything here. Have you ever known anybody who tried to control being fully known and fully loved before on social media? 
Have you ever known anybody who's like, I'm gonna make sure everybody knows who I am on social media, right? I'm gonna be an influencer. Like, do you know people like this? Again, if this is you, this is not a time for confession. Maybe later we can talk about that. But I'm just saying, we all have that one friend who gets on social media and they're like, I don't mean to brag, but da 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 And they just brag about all this stuff in their life. Uh, oh, I don't mean to brag here, but oh, I just did this. Or, hey, man, I just had this really cool day, hashtag winning, right? And they just list everything. There's like all these photos about everything they were doing. Like, man, bet you wish you were me, better level up to my life. And they post all this stuff all the time. Yeah, what do all of us do when we're around people who brag all the time in social media? We unfollow them, right? We're just like muted. I'm not gonna be around you because you're a bragger. No one likes an arrogant person. And so we unfollow them. Or think about the person who tries to control their need to be loved on social media. What happens? They come off as super needy in these posts that they post all the time. Hey, I'm having a really bad day because this thing happened. It's not a prayer request. It's like, I just need to write my journal here on social media. Uh, Click the link if you want the longer explanation here. There's also a video of me talking about it in the link. Be sure to look at the show notes if you want the in-depth thing on what's going on in my life. And that would be fine if this was like a once in a while update, but we all have those friends who do this like four times a day, every day. And you just think to yourself, like, do you have a job? Like, how do you survive in Orlando? Because all it seems like you're doing is posting your needy posts on social media. What do we do with people who are arrogant and needy on social media? We unfollow them. People who try to control their need for love and their need for Uh, being known on social media, get unfriended, which means at the end of the day, they actually achieve the opposite of what they were intending. This is just like Adam and Eve who try to control their need to be known and be loved and they achieve the opposite of what they're intending. But think about the opposite. Think about someone who is so secure in their uh, need for uh, um, uh, value and significance and they're so secure in their need for love Uh, that uh, they just live this life. They're just like this person of serenity. You know, these people, they understand they're fully known and they're fully loved, perhaps even in God. You know, those kind of people, they're like the chillest people to be around. You're like, hey, what's up? Life is good, bro. Like, hey, what's going? They're the people you have to like ask to get things out of them. How are you? I'm good. Anything good happened this week? Man, I don't know, man. It's just super good. Oh, I got a new car, right? You're like, how did you not lead with new car? You're like, I don't know, man. Cars don't really matter to me. And you're like, oh, that's a humble brag. You're like, no, bro, just cars don't matter to me, right? Everybody you know who knows that they're fully known and fully loved, guess what? They've got tons of friends. People just gravitate towards confident people. Why? Because people who are confident understand that they're fully known and they're fully loved. The people who can be fully known and fully loved by God, they're the ones who actually have the kind of friends that they're seeking. And this is true. This paradigm is true across all kinds of uh, uh, things in our life. So think about this. Anytime we try to control our need to be fully known and fully loved in, in every area, what about those times where we're faced with an important relationship decision? And you guys know this. You go, okay, listen. Who's gonna be the hero of this prayer request here for this relationship? There's this, this guy who's giving me attention or this girl who's giving me attention. Should I, like, should I go after them or should I, I don't know, they're giving me a lot of attention. And you go, okay, I could pray about this and ask what God thinks or compulsively, I could just be like, look, this is the last helicopter out of Vietnam. If I don't take this date right here, I am never gonna get married. Uh, and then my dad's gonna give me grief about things. And so you're like, sure, I'll date you, right? How does that always work out? 
terribly, right? And listen, I'm saying this because I've been there. I remember there were times before I met Natalie where girls would show me attention and I would not pray about it at all. I would just be like, you know what? I'm gonna take control of this dating relationship because I have a need to be known and need to be loved and you're the closest thing in proximity. So here we go, right? And it's, you know, you go on the first date, you're like, I guess that was okay. And then the second date, you're like, ah. And then the third date, you're like, there is no way we should ever be together, but I'm in too deep at this point now. And so I might as well get the tattoo on the arm because this is moving towards marriage. And I guess we're gonna have kids. And so here we go. And right, you always get to that point where you're like, I don't know why I'm in this relationship. Anyone who's ever been in a bad relationship. And I know there are some of you who are here today. You get to this point where you're like, I am so lonely and so unknown, even in the midst of a dating relationship. It's a terrible place to be. Well, how do we often get there? It's because we try to take control instead of letting God be the hero of our story. Or think about this with job stuff. And I know I've done this before. You're in one job, you don't really like it. You're thinking about a career change. And then the first halfway decent offer comes in and you're like, any boat's a good boat when you're on a sinking ship. And so you kind of jump to that next job and you're like, okay, cool. I can just ride this out for a while. And after a weekend, two weeks in, three weeks in, you just hate it. And you're just like, oh, this is the worst thing ever. And you become a terrible employee and you're just mean to all your coworkers and nobody likes you. And you just get to this point where you're like, I thought having a job, I would be happy and all this stuff. And what happened? How'd you get here? You tried to become the hero of your story. You tried to control your situation. Think about it in small ways. Have you ever sent a text compulsively without praying about it first? Right? You're like, you know what? I know I probably shouldn't say this, but I need to send this text. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens from there. I'm sure good things will happen. Good things never happen, right? You send that text, it's like so terrible. Or you post that thing, or you say those words, or you do those things because you go, I need to be the hero of this moment so I can be fully known and fully loved with everything. This is what happened with Adam and Eve. Anytime we try to be the hero of our story, anytime we try to be the hero of our story and make God a supporting role, it ends up poorly. But what Adam and Eve show us is that when we, as we let God be the hero, because he is, and we grow comfortable with a supporting role in the story of our lives, that's when things happen for us and they meet the longing for significance and the longing we have for relationships. Now I want you to uh, look at the last uh, verse in this passage here, okay? So God's been saying all these things to them, asking them the questions at the very end of the passage here. Verse 21, it says this. You would think after they throw God on the bus that people would go, um, or that God would go, I'm done with you guys. But notice what happens at the very end. Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. God starts off fully knowing and fully, love, uh, fully loving us, and even after all of this sin, God concludes by fully knowing and fully loving us. Why is this? Because the kind of God who's in this Bible, the God who created this whole universe, the God who's the author of this story, he exists in such a way to magnify his glory. And one of the ways that he wants to magnify his glory and all of his wisdom is to fully know us and to fully love us. And he wants to invite us into that security so that we can operate as supporting characters in this story out of a place of being fully known and fully loved. And I want you to watch this uh, example of this. Uh, just as a cross-reference, I wanna uh, bring up Philippians 2, okay? So I want you to notice the comparison to this here. It's really cool. In Philippians 2, starting verse five, this is Jesus we're talking about. Now, if anybody has an opportunity to say, I should be the hero of the story, it's Jesus, because he's God. But notice what Paul writes about Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus 
who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't even try to be the hero of the story. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He took on a supporting role. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all names, so that at, every, at, that name, Jesus, uh, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The model that Jesus shows us is this. Guess what? Even Jesus takes a supporting role to the Father in the story of life. And in doing this, Jesus found purpose. His purpose was to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to overcome sin, to raise from the dead, to overcome death, and to make disciples of all nations. And not only did he find his purpose, but he also found community. Everywhere Jesus went, he was hanging out with people. He was spending time practicing hospitality. Jesus was fully known and fully loved by the Father, and therefore he was able to be fully known and fully loved by others on this earth. The secret to this life is to let God be the hero and for us to take a supporting role. And so practically, I want to give you three quick things, three quick practices that you can adopt today to help you reorient yourself to your supporting role in God's story. Because things are going to come up in life and stress is going to happen and you're going to be like, oh, I need to take control, oh, right? Uh, so how do you, in this life where risk and stress and everything comes against us, how do you regularly reorient yourself to the supporting role you have in the story? Number one, you can practice the rhythm of generosity. Generosity. Being generous with your time and your talents and your treasures. Now you might ask, how does generosity help me to reorient myself to my supporting role here in the story? Because generosity is a practice that helps us root out our insecurity. Um, our need to control uh, our, our role in this world, our need for significance, Right? Uh, you are never feeling more uh, needy than when you're writing a check and putting it into a plate, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? You're like, I can't afford rent, but I feel like I need to give to this. Like, oh, I'm writing my life away, right? Uh, generosity undermines this compulsive need for materialism and the need for gaining more. And the more we practice that, again, with our time and our talent and our treasures, we train ourselves to say this over and over again. Jesus, I have all I need in you. And so I'm happy to give this money away. Jesus, I have all I need in you, so I'm happy to serve here. Jesus, I have all I need in you, so I'm happy to donate my time to this cause. Generosity is one of the ways we can practice reorienting ourselves to the supporting role. Number two, it's teachability. Teachability roots out arrogance from creeping in. Our need to control uh, being fully known, right? Uh, our need to be a control being a braggart. And here's what I mean by teachability. When someone decides to open up the word, when someone decides to teach, when someone decides to give you wisdom, you open up a journal and you go, I'm going to take notes here. Or you open up your phone, you go, one second, I'd like to take notes here. When you sit down with someone and they say, hey, can I give you some advice? Teachability says, yes, I would love advice. Let me take some notes here. What teachability doesn't say is, I'm smarter than you. Why would you give me advice? Uh, you're a terrible person. I'm not going to take advice from you. No, come on. Psh, I know everything I need to know, right? Teachability roots out that arrogance and says, you know what? 
because of who Jesus is, because I have everything I need in Jesus, because I'm truly loved by Jesus, I'm going to put myself into the posture of a learner here. And I'm going to go, hey, you know what? I don't need to prove to you that I know everything. So I'm going to try to be a learner here just like Jesus was. So generosity and teachability. And finally, communion. The practice of communion or taking the Lord's Supper does two things. Uh, It encourages us to practice humility because we can't save ourselves. And it encourages us to remember security in the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. We get to say to Jesus, Jesus, when I take the bread and the wine, I know this. The blood here covers me. I'm secure in you. And the bread here nourishes me. I have everything that I need. Now, I want to take a step back from this and notice that these three rhythms are the regular three rhythms that Christians practice every Sunday when they gather for church. Someone teaches and we get to practice teachability. And we get to practice giving or serving in some way and practicing generosity. And on occasion, especially if you go to a high church, you get to practice taking the Lord's Supper. The very rhythm of going to church every Sunday is intended to radically reorient us to the role we have in the story where God is the hero and we are a supporting role. 